G'day guys, welcome to episode 177 of Talking with TK. I'm your host Tristan Cannell. I'm really excited for today's episode. It's a really great guest in former NRL player and also Knights assistant coach in Willie Peters. Plenty of stories to share from Willie's career from getting tagged as, you know, very early in his career as the next Peter Sterling to you know, getting signed by Glamour Club Wigan to coming home and, you know, he sees himself as a bit of a failure in terms of rugby league career, but he's really killing it in his, his coaching career as well. And I love Willie Peters. You know, we're both five foot five. We used, used to be budding tennis players and, you know, we both love our league. So Willie's got plenty of stories to share and I'm sure that you're going to be loving this one. Thank you for all the positive feedback from the last episode with Ben Cross. Lots of, lots of great feedback. So if you haven't yet, please check out Crossy's episode. Like Willie, he's a great bloke and plenty to share from both rugby league playing and coaching so plenty to look forward to ahead thank you for all the reviews whether it's on apple podcast spotify or on facebook if you can leave me a review that would be great also if you could share it with your family and friends tag me on any posts on social media you'll find me at talking with tk across my facebook or twitter instagram i'm tristan nell spelled k-n-e-l-l or please drop me a line email tristan at talking with tk Dot com. I'd love to hear from you. If you've got any guest requests, or if you don't want to just chat a little bit of footy, love the footy being back, and you know it'd be great to to hear your tips and you know what you see for the rest of the season. So please get in touch. I am part of the Diamond Tina podcast network, so check out some of my stable mates, especially right now. Batuta Advocate, absolutely killing it, and also the Halfcast podcast and Dylan Friends. Highly recommend those podcasts as well. My book, Talking with Champions, that's out now. So seventy five. Of my favorite interviews across my podcast career, some of the ones you haven't heard on Talking With TK with the likes of Jonathan Thurston, Evander Holyfield, George Foreman, Leila Ali, and Mario Andretti. So 75 of my best interviews called Talking With Champions. You can pick up a copy now at Dimmick's Booktopia or Angus and Robinson. All right, guys, really excited for today's episode, and I introduce Willie Peters. All right, guys, my special guest today is Willie Peters. Willie is a former professional rugby league player. He played 76 first-grade games in the NRL across Souths and the Dragons, also playing 67 first-grade games in the English Super League for Gateshead, Wigan, and Witness. Post-footy, he has made some impressive moves in coaching. He's currently first-grade assistant coach to Adam O'Brien at the Newcastle Knights, where he moved from the South Sydney Rabbitohs last year, where he was assistant to Wayne Bennett. Welcome to the podcast, Willie Peters. Willie. Hey, Tristan. Buddy. How are you, mate? Doing good, man. I'm, I'm stoked to get you on, but it's, uh, I've actually been, it just kind of, when people just keep introducing, sometimes you're on, because you're on my list to actually reach out to for a long, long time, but when people just keep introducing, they get in the way and then I can't get out to people, but now we're in ISO, it's a perfect time to kind of get in touch, so I'm stoked to have you on the show, man. Thanks, mate. Good to be here. All right, let's rip in. Before we get back to the start, I actually just wanted to just pick your brain a little bit on isolation, because, you know, isolation in the NRL it's, it's a weird thing because you get told different things by the media every day. So from someone on the inside, how has the Newcastle Knights kind of handled isolation? It's been really impressive. I think, you know, from from the pre-season, um, Adam O'Brien's why we wanted to train and resilience and, and that type of thing. Um, we never trained or prepared for this, um, but, but it certainly helped us. And, and the reason why I say that is, uh, you know, you didn't, we didn't know how long we'd be in isolation for. Um, so basically we didn't stop training. So we didn't know whether it was going to be, you know, a couple of weeks, whether it was going to be a month, two months. But we had a plan in place. Um, but the players have responded extremely well. Um, and pretty much, you know, they haven't stopped training. Obviously we've tailored the program. Mm. Um, but no one could prepare for this. You know, like even guys like Wayne Bennett and Craig Bellamy and 
experienced coaches like that, um, you know, you can't prepare a footy team for this. But, um, we're getting through it like everyone else and, you know, we're coming out the other side. Yeah, well, how did you first get the uh, gig at Newcastle? Do you and Adam O'Brien have a, a background together? Um, no, well, I didn't know Adam beforehand. Um, I knew of him. He's been, you know, coaching for 10 years uh, as an assistant to, to Craig um, down in Melbourne and then came to the Roosters. Um, you know, I, I met, he called me, um, basically I, I met him and, um, you know, started a relationship and, and it went from there. So, uh, you know, it's been a great opportunity. Um, you know, South, I really enjoy my time at South, I'm a South junior, so i um, always got a soft spot for the Rabbitohs, but um, I, mean, I haven't looked back since I've come up. It's, it's been a really good move for it for me and my family. Yep. Um, yeah, and love working under Adam. Yeah, well, what are you, are you in charge of the backs? Yes, Doing the attack, um, Dave Fern does the uh, does the forwards. Um, we've got a few coaches, so we've got Eric Smith and, and Rory Cox Jason as well as development coaches, um, and obviously Adam as the head coach. So um, you know we try and um, you know have a lot of detail in what we do. Um, you know we're pretty much helping each other in, in all areas of the game. So you know my my main focus is attack, but uh, um, you know look at some of the defence. Yeah. What's it been like? Because you got some really star players in the backs. Like you know, you got Callum Ponga. You know, obviously an experienced guy like Mitchell Pearce. But then you you put in the mix. Some of those outside backs are very talented as well. You like you must scratch yourself and go, Jesus, this is. If you're going to yeah. pick a back line to coach, like the Knights are probably the back line you want to pick. It's um, mate. To be honest, I scratch myself every day and go, how lucky I am. I love footy. You know, I'm passionate about coaching and just being part of footy. Um, and then, obviously, like you say, mate, to be able to come up here and work with the likes of, you know, Kalen, Mitchell Pierce, you know, Idrick Lee, like, um, he, he's a great fellow to work with, really, you know, big personality, um, you know, and, and a good football in his own right. So we do have a good mix. And, and the biggest, uh, I suppose, attraction for me of coming up here was um, last year when I did the blue shirt for um, for the Rabbitohs, I was, I was on the field and I could see closely, obviously, uh, you know, opposition teams and, you know, what they're sort of... Um, I suppose, you know, in, you know, what their culture was like, how aggressive they were in defence, mm. work hard for each other, that type of thing. And the Knights ticked a lot of boxes. Um, they beat us that night. And for me, it was really attractive, um, the opportunity to come up here because I thought there's a big future in, in the club up here. Um, you know, if you can keep the nickel to that team, like you said, it's a, it's, it's a really good uh, back line, but it's an aggressive forward back. Um, so there's a really good mix of, of players there. Um, and that was a big part of my decision of, of who we had in the team. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's exciting for us. Um, you know, we know we've got a long way to go. We've, we've just sort of, you know, scratched the surface, but um, definitely exciting. Yeah, that, you know, that blue shirt role that you, you did just mention, you know, for, for even like other young assistant coaches coming through, is, is that kind of like a role that you really need to do? You know, you just did mention all this stuff that you're picking up. Like it seems like a very unique position. It is. So I started uh, a number of years back for the Rabbitohs first grade, but I wasn't coaching. So I'd finished playing um, and then got an opportunity to do the, the, the blue shirt. Um, most of the time your blue shirt would be either an assistant coach or um, uh, head of high performance. Um, so I wasn't full-time at the time. I worked in South in sponsorship. Yep. Um, so it was awesome for me to, uh, I suppose, introduce myself, you know, get an introduction to, um, you know, what coaching would look like. Um, so I started there doing that. I'm very fortunate. But then, obviously, naturally, when I when I progressed into uh, full time coaching, then um, I was given the blue shirt opportunity again. Um, definitely, yeah, you know, been a bit more experienced. I was better at that. Um, 
was at the start, I suppose I was a bit like a fan, you know, getting back out there after <laughs> yes. yeah. after tackles, that's even better. Um, but, mate, it was, um, yeah, as I say, a really good sort of learning tool for me initially. Um, but, um, yeah, once I did sort of progress into full-time, um, yeah, that role again was it was awesome. Yeah, well, I see that you still got a full head of hair too, mate. So, have you had a have you had a chance to have a chat to, to your mate Brownie and see why he lost all his hair? Yeah, I think it's the number of years he was head coaching, mate. So, Adam's starting to maybe lose a few as well, but uh, it's sort of a trend there, isn't it? Mary McGregor, yeah. he's lost mate. his stress. <laughs> mate, it is a high pressure job. There's no doubt about that. So, um, uh, the, the thing about the assistant role, you, you just look at footy. As I said before, I'm extremely passionate about what I do, and um, that's the footy side of it. But when you're a head coach, there's a number of things that you're, that you're looking at from um, you know, dealing with the board, you know, directly with the CEO, the general manager on a daily basis. Then you've got the media, and you've got the managers. Um, you know, then you've got the, say corporates that you're, you're dealing with as well. But obviously, then there's a the team and the players that are most important. Um, then also the footy aspect. So. There's a large area you've got to get right as a head coach. Um, so that's why uh, I'm sure they have some sleepless, night, sleepless nights. You know, we go to bed dreaming about, you know, plays and defence strategies and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they, they, they're stressing about other things. Uh, it was pretty cool about seeing that you guys kicked off the season, you know, two wins and zero losses. You know, it's good for a young team. But what's, what's the go now? Because, you know, you guys lost a few players as well. Like, you weren't probably working out. You know, Jaden Braille is a big one. You know, yeah. he's your new hooker. And then Mitchell Barnett, I think, got injured as well. And then Callan's yeah. suspended. So, obviously, round three is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a pretty big challenge to get another W. 100%. Um, but, again, you know, we've, we've worked hard and got a, got a strong resilience in our team that, you know, whoever's playing, um, obviously, is not the right play. And then we've got, you know, squad of 30. I know it's sort of cliche, but, um, you know, they're part of the squad as well. And then once they go in, they're expected to the reason why we expect that is because we've trained so hard during the preseason, um, all to put in work, and um, you know now now the fun part is sort of playing. But mate, I'm not going to shy away from lots of rails. Yep. Um, and obviously Barney, Barney probably be you know a few games, hopefully once we're back. Um, but still, you know, three games without Barney is going to be um, is going to be difficult. But um, you know, Brails is a massive loss. So you know, whoever comes into that role, opportunity, which is which is awesome. Um, mm. But, you know, little things in our game, like our kick pressure that he puts on, all the effort area that he, you know, that he does in defence, um, you know, that person's got to step up, which they will. There's no doubt in the world that they will. Um, we've got to look forward now. But, um, yeah, it's made out of a lot of Yeah. What, what have you been allowed to do? I heard, like, Mary Gregor saying the other day that they were doing a few one-on-one sessions. Did you guys do any of that stuff? No. Uh, sent out programs and, and they've done it on their own. So um, they've given us times and recorded themselves and things like that. So, mm. uh, mate, we haven't had any sort of face-to-face contact or one-on-one contact. Um, we've had players wanting to do that. We've got to hold off. You know, it's not going to be long. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going to have them again next week, mate, and we've got them for the next, you know, obviously five months. So uh, three weeks to, to get them prepared. Um, but as I said, they haven't stopped training, so it's been a huge plus for us. Yeah, just, you know, as a fan, for me, you know, Rugby league being taken away right now, it it's kind of like showing me how much I actually do love the game, and I yeah. can only imagine for you guys whose livelihoods are on the line now, what impact that would have had on on your yourself and your, your family. How have you guys, as a family, felt with you guys at the moment not working, and then obviously for yourself, someone who's loved rugby league since a young boy, getting that taken away from you as well? 
no, no, like everyone else in, yeah, no, no doubt like everyone else in Australia. I mean, it's, it's been it's been hard initially and, and tough, but in these situations, again, it's, it's um, about training and um, you know doing things that make you feel good. So, what we've tried to do as a family is you know have a routine. Um, I think that's been really important for us. Obviously, you can't go out. There's not much you can do on the outside. So, you know, we've gone out for walks and taken the kids for scooter rides and literally down the road, but you know, that's an hour of your day. So, yeah. um, so we've had a lot of routine. We've started a little uh, plank challenge with each other. So it's a 30-day plank challenge, which my seven-year-old and wife and myself have been doing. So How many seconds? Been, <laughs> mate, we're up to two minutes 20 at the moment. Mate, it's tough, eh? Struggling. <laughs> do, you go off, do you go off your elbows or do you go off the, the standing? Yeah, on the elbows, but we're all getting the, uh, so we're getting the cows now because they're getting, bit, uh, they're getting a bit long for us, so we're starting to get a bit of uh, gravel in the arms. But, um, but you know some Chinese bloke's got some record. It's like 23 hours or something. Wow. Yeah. Mate, I'm at two minutes 10 and I'm struggling. So. Mate, I was doing like five sets of one-minute one minute break. Yep. I'm on Struggle Street doing that. Like, yeah, no, I, I'm struggling now. So the missus is obviously she, she she's been uh, pretty good, so that's what kept me going. I'm just going to beat her. So <laughs> we're uh... all right. Well, let's rip it back to the start because you're a Matraville and Maroubra boy, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me a little bit about uh, little Willie growing up. Yeah, so, uh, so Matraville for so my first, um, and then from Maroubra from about twelve to. Sort of 16, um, then went back to sort of natural play. Um, mate, yes, I'm a South Sydney junior, played um, all my juniors at footy around there. Um, went to uh, went to Marsland College at Randwick, uh, good school, good Very footy good school. school. Um, mate, loved uh, loved my time there. And pretty much, mate, yeah, foot, footy's been my, was my life. So you know, I was uh, was a cheeky kid without being um, a rat bag. Like I, was, I wouldn't get into uh, too much mischief, but... It was definitely cheekiness in me. That's from being a halfback, that's for sure. Mate, I found um, this. I found this article on the Sydney Morning Herald yesterday, and it was about you growing up. And it said you're a temperamental tennis player who had to yes. who swapped the rugby league at twelve or something. Is this is this a true story? Yeah, that's true. I've got to admit that. So <laughs> I love playing tennis, um, and yeah, I was uh, I was probably a bit of uh, embarrassment to my mum and uh, my dad at the time because I remember we played in the tournament. Yeah. Mate, I did through the rack in the ground and stuff, and then after that, they, they did sort of channeled me into playing playing footy, so so I could uh, channel that aggression into into something positive. But mate, I, I look back and and that's you know my son, you know, like he's he's only seven, but you can see he's a competitive kid. Um, frustration comes in when you're playing sport, and I think that's what makes um, you who you are type thing. So I use that now and channel that. Um, in, in the competitive, being competitive in, in the right way, you know. Yeah. So, so for me, that was who I was. Um, and it's about telling them that properly. So, obviously, footy, you know, boxing was too too hard for me. So, I went into footy. Um, yeah, you got twelve other blokes that can do your tackling for you. So, that was good. But um, for me, hey, who, mate, it was. Uh, who was your? Because I was the same. I was a tennis player, mate. We're we're exactly the same size. We're both five five, and we're the small fellas. Yeah. But we're bloody good at sport. But for me, my favourite tennis player was Stefan Edberg. Who was your favourite yeah. tennis player? Mine was Ivan Lindell. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's a legend. I think because he was number one at the time, probably I was renting out like him. <laughs> it was brilliant, but I reckon like tennis teaches you some good competitiveness. And you, it's like boxing, the fact you don't get punched in the head, but you're out there by yourself. Definitely. I, I love uh, – if someone says to me now what sport you want to play, um, it's tennis. I love it because there is there's that competitive edge still part of it. Like it's still inside me. 
mate, that that is that that um, I suppose little temper is it is in there still? I've got a control now, as I said, like when I'm playing tennis, but for some reason, it comes out when I when I play tennis. Um, so it's I love it, mate. As I said, it ticks a lot of boxes for me. I don't do it enough, obviously. You know, coaching and and being in footies, mate, it's full time. You know, and then obviously the family. So I'm at work, I'm home, and then you're working at home as well. Which yeah, I wouldn't swap for the world, but. Um, yeah, I'd like to play a little bit more tennis. I used to get so much troll, mate. I used to serve and volley, but being our height, you can't serve and volley because you just get lobbed. You can get lobbed off a normal shot. So I used to get so much trouble off coach, mate. But yeah, it was fun, man. <laughs> That's I what good. I am too. I'm a serving volley. People going, what's the size of you? I said, well, test me. Go on, put it over the top. That's, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, mate. I'm, 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 I'm a hypocrite too. Yeah. For your footy stuff, who was your junior club? Um, so I played uh, so South Juniors, South Eastern, um, Maroubra and Zetland, three three clubs. Yeah, did you just you smash it from the start? Um, I suppose yes. Yeah, the, f- the first year, obviously getting used to it, but um, I've got video. Yeah, I suppose I, I did pretty well, mate, from from a young age. Well, probably when I was about fifteen, that's when I decided or thought, oh, I could possibly do something um, with my footy. Yeah, uh, you know, I made the New South Wales sides and Australian merit team. When I was 15, uh, and that's that's probably when I went, okay, this is the direction that I want to go. Um, but I suppose, yeah, mate, from a young age, I was fortunate enough to you know, make the rep teams and um, I got the Matthews Cup and the SG Ball Player of the Year in, in both in the, in the comp. So, as I said, that that's probably what I suppose gave me confidence to go, yeah, I can do something. Yeah, it's so political, but especially as you're growing up, how did you kind of because size is a huge thing? I remember even when I was growing up, people would go, "Oh, you're too small to play this, you're that that." But for you to make rep teams, like you must have been dominating. Like, what was the feedback back to you? Did you ever get say, "Willie, you're too small" and that sort of stuff? It was funny. I, I didn't personally. Um, I had a mate of mine who was who was tall. Uh, he was lean, um, mate. Very very gifted player. I remember someone saying to him, "I was like, well, man, that's trick ball because it hits." Like he, he whacks with his shoulder, he puts his body in front, and he's tough. Like, so, so how can they say that? So for me, I suppose I used that, and it was just like, okay, that's just someone's opinion. Mm. Um, once I went into the first grade, obviously not being, you know, being a smaller player, you're not, you're, you're not an overly strong defender, so they're going to come at you all the time. Yeah. Then I had players around me, you know, like Trent Barrett at the time, you know, half five eight, Trent Close, you know, he was more like, you know, put your body in front, um, and basically. You know, challenging your type things, and then sort of challenges your values, and you go, "Well, I have to do it." So that's the mindset, I suppose, that I had. Um, and again, I wasn't, I wasn't a strong defender, but um, you know, you look at rugby league week and go, you know, they, they have the misses and tackles per week. I'd have, a, I'd have a, um, two was the maximum I could have, and even more than that, and I failed. You know, so just little things around that, I suppose, helped me deal with my height. Um, yeah, it's more challenging yourself. Um, or people, you know, they challenge your values type thing. That's that's when you can always get a little bit, you know, use it and channel it into other areas. You know, well, you you debuted at eighteen. How much how much were you weighing then? Seventy four. So when I went over to England, I got down to 72, 71. Okay. Um, and then I sort of played at around 75, 76. That was that was my weight. But always wanted. Oh, I think I got to seventy eight at one stage, but always wanted to Never did. Uh, but mate, yeah, it was yeah, it was 70, 73, 74. Yeah. Now in ninety seven, mate, you make your debut off the bench against the star studded Newcastle Knights who end up winning the comp. How did you find out? Because you came off the bench, like were you named in the program? What happened? How did you? No, so I played Ken reserve. Sean. Yeah, Ken Shaw yeah, so was the coach. 
back in those days, um, you could play state 20s um, yeah. and then sit on the bench for reserve grade and then you could sit on the bench for first grade as well. So I played reserve grade, then uh, sat on the bench for, for first grade. Um, I just thought I was going to be sitting there watching the game and then the next minute, boom, <laughs> on. Um, and I never forget, it was like a little boy against me. I remember uh, two blokes made a tackle. I just flopped in and I ended up the first marker. And uh, the tackle was Chief was uh, playing the footy. And probably didn't even realise, I mean, he was just a so it was not. It wasn't as if he was trying to be aggressive or anything like that. And then you've got this little funny thing trying to slap his arm down. And I, just, <laughs> I just remember going, "What am I doing here?" You know, it's like a little little boy against massive men. But um, mate, it was an unbelievable experience. Um, yeah, one that I'll never forget. But that that stands out to me uh, the most. Of you know, just flopping in on on Chief and then trying to slap his arm down and he just. He didn't even look at me. That's how, that's how it was like a fly for him. <laughs> yeah. Mate, what about your starting debut against the Roosters? You, you're bursting guys like Adrian Lamb, Freddie. Mate, you must have been, yeah. you must have had stars ringing around your eyes, bud. Yeah, because Freddie was, um, Freddie was my player that I looked up to. So I loved him. I met him through a uh, good mate of mine, Nanny Wood. That was, that was uh, awesome in itself. So for me, it was like, yeah, like you say, stars in your eyes. And, um, uh, playing against Freddie was the biggest thrill. Um, and then obviously against uh, Goey, because Goey to me was, I think, is the best player to play the game. Now, more, I think, equal with Cameron Smith. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, so to play against people like Mac, it was, it was unbelievable, you know. And it was probably, I was probably at the field too much. Um, it gave them too much respect in certain aspect because, it, yeah, like when you're on the field, you know, you've got to be looking at them, their your opposition, um, and you're going to put it over. Still had that mindset, but... You know, I won't lie, there was that sort of star in my eyes um, yeah. when I was on the field as well. So if I had my time again, I'd, I'd definitely try and change that. Yeah, well, you know, early on, who put – was it Tugger who put the Sterlo tag on you? Yeah, yeah. So Tugger had um, Sterlo. Um, yeah, Tugger and I are all good mates today. So it was a, it was a call, you know, just a, he was excited about a young boat coming through and obviously the media got hold of it um, and then – that it was everywhere in the media, so oh, that that tag sort of stayed with me. Um, obviously, in hindsight, it was uh, it wasn't great because I didn't live anywhere near Sterlo, which which I was never going to do. But also, the way I looked at it, mate, Tugger was was excited about a young kid coming through, mm. um, and also the way you know I might not have got an opportunity, or um, you know he put me on the map, so to speak, of of, of being a first grader, and um, people end up knowing who I was. You know, maybe that wouldn't have been the case. So. Yeah. As much as, you know, it was at times sort of hard to deal with and compared to Sterlo, it was also, um, it was a positive as well. Yeah. It actually, was never going to be a Sterlo. I guess it is kind of a lesson for you in coaching now. Like, how would you, like, you got a whole heap of great talent coming through at Newcastle. Like, I'm sure they remind you of players that you played against. Like, what would be your approach when you're talking to media about these guys? Yeah, obviously, I'm mindful of it. Um you don't want to get too carried away about young blokes because it's so, you know, there's so much that can impact their career. Either, you know, 17, 18-year-old or guys that are 16-year-olds, you know, obviously so much comes into it. You know, do they, do they start drinking, you know, alcohol, they start going to parties, their girlfriends come along, mm-hmm. um, obviously different friends and networks and that type of thing. So um, I'm definitely mindful around um, not getting too excited or carried away publicly about a player. Naturally, internally, you talk about someone's strengths and weaknesses and how far you think they can go and development-wise and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely mindful of it. Um, and if 
uh, if you're going to, like Moses Sully, for example, I'll give you an example there. So he was, I coached him in the 20s. Mm. Um, and I could tell that he was, you know, he was a special kid. But for Moses, he needed to, um, you know, he, he needed to make priority. He, he didn't, you know, and then obviously he got himself and, um, you know, he went to Canterbury and um, they moved him on. So there were, there were some things that went wrong for, for Moses at the time, but I always knew that he'd come out the other end and, and be a first grader. Now, Moses can get and he's, he's going in that direction. But at the time, um, you know, he had, he had to sort his sort of life out, I suppose, of, you know, who he wanted to be as a person and, and first and foremost, and then where he wanted to go with his footy. But um, that could have easily, you know, a player that could have potentially played for his country um, could have easily been, you know, not playing rugby league again. So yeah. you don't want to get too carried away too early. That's a good example. You know, you made your debut in 97, Willie. You know, that's obviously the Super League year. Like, what, for a young gun coming through the grades, like, how well were you look, looked after? With, uh, with that being the Super League year, how well were you guys looked after being a young gun coming through the grades? Sorry, I can't hear you now. Are you asking for that first grade year or when? when nah, so did you have like a, a Super League contract? Story or anything like that. Oh, okay, like, so yes, yeah, yeah. so I signed with the. I was um, only playing SG Ball at the time. Yeah. Um, so I'd signed a an ARL contract. I think it was something like three thousand dollars, which was big for a for a kid. So I was like, "How good this?" So I went and bought the first car with that at the time. Um, but I just missed it. So it was that was my first year, um, or sort of coming through, or just just before that. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be playing. I played street ball then. Next year I was in first grade. The year after that, so but yeah, I just missed the big the big funds, mate. Yeah, did, <laughs> did you? Have, was it weird that year because you would have had mates playing for other clubs, right? They would have been playing Super League teams, and then you guys playing in ARL teams. Was it weird that some of your mates were playing that league and that? Was there a division or anything? Yeah, mate. I was more um, sort of the juniors, but you had Canberra guys that you played rep footy with that went over to the Super League. I'd buy mate to Cronulla. Um, uh, I remember at the, at the stage I was contemplating to, to, to go over there and I, I was close to doing that. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think maybe it was the, the hype of it all, you know, the Super League and it's the best way to go and this is what you're going to be playing in front of and it's what you're exposed to and you'll be able to play first grade quicker. And So I suppose it was all that sort of um, I was glad that I stayed, I stayed, um, stayed at the house at the time and you know, I was did you cop any injuries that first couple of years? Mate, the injury that I had, which was with me for my whole career, was a hamstring. Um, so I, I did that a number of times. But I should have had I – was, I was playing school footy. And it was a six-week injury. I came back after two weeks. Um, and I did it again and did it again. So, you know, as, as a kid, I, I was fast and then lost all that pace. Um, yeah. And that was the start of my first grade career. So, Mate, to be honest, a lot of the time, and I never would use this as an excuse, but you know, I'm older now and looking back at reality, I'd be thinking a lot about the hamstring at the time and is it going to be okay? Am I going to get through it? I started playing with my mind a hell of a lot, but it definitely affected me in terms of my actions. Like, I wasn't fast, like, a, so I was looked upon as a slow halfback, but as a kid, I was fast. You know, mates, I grew up with Lee Hooking, Craig Wing, and guys, like, and I was as fast as them as a kid, mm. but then, you know, once I started playing first grade, they picked me by 50 over 100. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that was definitely an injury mode to stay with me. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you moved to England came quite early. You know, I think you were only, what, 20 years old. What made you want to move over to England? Uh, mate, it was a funny one. It was um, 
very reactive. So what happened was uh, we went had a mad Monday. Um, it was down at the Maruba Bay Hotel. So I was sitting there, I was there drinking and I had a girlfriend at the time. We lived actually in Newcastle. So mate, I thought, no, I've had enough. I'm, I'm out. So I put on the train, went up to Newcastle. Um, uh, stayed with a girlfriend at the time. Anyway, woke up the next morning and um, phone call. Literally woke up with a phone call from TMAU, who was my manager. Said, mate, you know, I've got an offer to go to Gateshead. It's a it's a Super League team. It's a, basically all Australians. Shane Richardson's a, the boss over there. Wants you to come three or four times your money. What do you think? So, oh, mate, I'll, you know, I'll I'll, uh, I'll come back to you. I'll speak to my girlfriend. Being nineteen, like we didn't know what what we're doing and was ahead of us. Um, yeah. Basically said, yeah, let's do it. So, so we did it. Um, made in hindsight. Play first grade consistently in the NRL. Um, so there's a couple of things. It was obviously the money was really good, but um, it was a way to go over there and do my apprenticeship. So I did it the opposite way. Most people did it back then when they were 27, 28. Or I, did it, I did it the other end. So uh, may I'm one that I don't like to back and um, and regret things. But yeah, sorry, certainly I don't I don't regret that because what I did made I over there and grew up as a person. Um, yeah. Met some awesome people. Had some success over there, um, you know. So for me, it, it was a good move. Like I, I look at all of helped me a lot as a person in life. And end of the day, mate, like footy, you know, as I said before, it's a massive passion of mine. It's everything, mm. but you know, person and quality of life, and what you do with your family is more important. So that's uh, that helped me sort of um, in that aspect of my life. Yeah, do you think it's a good idea? Maybe if you know NRL players that are kind of nineteen, twenty years old that might not get a run in first grade that year. Do you think it would be kind of beneficial if they get loaned out to maybe a Super League club for one or two years just to, as you did, you know, you went from a boy to a man, like from what you're describing? Yeah, um, it just depends on the way the way we're going to go forward. Obviously, you know, with what's going on at the moment, with the Canterbury Cup not playing, um, you know, that, that might be an option down the track, you know. But um, I think being here, like if, if you are here, so – Suppose for me, I went over there, then I was always looking on coming back. That was the biggest thing. I wanted to come back on the prime Um So I'm over there, but thinking about, you know, Australia and, and, and no disrespect to the Super League, but it is the best comp in the world. So yeah. so for me, I'm always thinking, how can I get back? Um, and I suppose if, if you're doing that, sometimes you can be out of sight. Um, you're getting developed over there, so I'm not, not, not saying program over there is going to develop, but you're in a squad of 30 now, so there's a lot of opposed, um, you're getting a lot of, you know, there's a lot of coaches here now, so you are getting, um, you know, sort of over there, but you are getting developed here now, um, where I think at the time, over here, if you weren't part of that sort of first grade, then you were a reserve grader, and you were sort of, you know, looked as part-time, um, so at the time for me, was probably okay to do, but now, um, if you want to go over there and that's a career you want to you want to you want to take, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely would take. You. Um, but if you want to sort of here and play here, I think stick it out here until you think it's time to get over. Yeah, okay. Where you know, Willie, where is is Gateshead in Newcastle? Yeah, Gateshead's just yeah. Next to Newcastle. Yeah, the tune. That's a good place to go out. You must have yeah, a few it stories. Is, it is, mate. We have uh, two parts. One was you know the the double bay, and then the other one was the cross of the area. So. Um, <laughs> Where was really? <laughs> I was going to say, where were you? I suppose when we won, you know, we might have been uh, at the at double play when we lost with the cross. 
Yeah. But mate, that, I had a look at that team that you guys assembled. Like, it was the biggest journeyman slash NRL fringe team of all time. Like, everyone had actually played first grade. It was quite handy, some of the players actually in there. Yeah, it was. It was, it was only last week I had a look at how we went. You know, we just missed out. I think it was the top six over there. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't have a great start, obviously, being a new team and sort of thrown together quite late. Um, so we didn't start... We, we, the, the biggest loss I think we had might have been 16 points max. So if we did lose, we're in every game. Um, but like you say, we did have a quality team. You know, we had some experienced guys. Kerry Walters was there. You know, we had um, Will Robinson was there, Craig Wilson. Um, you know, there, there was a number of guys at the time. Like Danny Lee, Frank Renault played by yeah, Danny sure Lee. Like he, he, was, he, he was a, you know, very tough, uh, uncompromising, you know, front rower. Like he, he was a great fella. Um, so we, we, we had some... We had some quality players, but um, obviously the leadership we had, you know, the Richo and Sean McRae was our coach. So it was um, it was enjoyable, mate. It was a really good uh, good time in my life. Um, as I said, it definitely helped me as a person, that's for sure. Yeah, it must have been good, but because, you know, you just mentioned those two guys, you know, Shane Richardson and, you know, Sean McRae. You know, it brings a lot of stability to a club, and that was probably something that might have been lacking at South at the time. For sure, for sure. Um, when I went over to Gateshead, like talking to Richo, you wouldn't have known. So basically, mate, he was knocking on doors to try and, um, you know, to get sponsors. And, you know, he said, he said how tough it was. You wouldn't have known because of, the, you know, the lead, I suppose, and, um, you know, the experience that Richard had beforehand, you know, setting him up to be able to do that. So if we would gone over and it was an inexperienced sort of CEO or coach, um, we would have been able to see through that. We didn't. So obviously at the end of the year, I ended up moving to, to Hull because of that reason, because of okay. finances and things like that. I, I went to Wigan. Um, but we wouldn't have known, you know. So, again, mate, it's, it's because of um, the experience that we had at the top. Yeah. Talk about going from the pa- the basement to the penthouse, though, when Wigan signed you, the Glamour Club. How does a young halfback from Australia get signed by Wigan? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I remember, so Craig Wilson, who was uh, – he, he played with Gateshead at the time. He was on the phone to Marty Hume, who was there, uh, S&C, Wigan's S&C at the time. Yeah. Um, and then he, they just spoke about, yeah, they were looking at me. And I was, in, I was with um, Pod with Gordon, Craig Wilson at the time. I was like, wow, this is unreal. So my manager rang, sure enough, two days later. Um, then I had to go speak to Richo. <laughs> and, uh, so the conversation with Richo went um, initially, um, you know, I'm, I was in there sort of, you know, because Richo brought me over and I felt obliged and didn't stay. And, and then basically Richo was going to get that. Hundred thousand pound from uh, Wigan at the time, and then he'd go yeah. off. You go, mate. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was, you know, from from not wanting me to go, till I worked out a, a payout for you, and then it was boom, off you go, little fella. See ya. <laughs> hey, it must have been pretty cool, but awesome. when you when you turn up to training, you got Andy Farrell, Jason Robinson, Steve yeah. Renoff, and that was there too. right? Yeah, Pearl was there. Brett Dallas was there again, mate. We yeah, we had a I was a star-studded lineup, and um, and Jason Robinson, you know, would be close to the best player I've played with. No other players can do this. Played fullback as well, but he was a winger. Mate, Andy Farrell, very dominant, um, you know, strong leader. You know, I was, a, I was a halfback. And, mate, the best thing about playing for Wigan and Frank Hennicott was a coach at the time. So, basically, mm. he was – he gave me a lot of confidence and belief. He was around, you know, really you control um, on the ball. So, the forwards dictate. You dictate and talk to them. Where you want them to go, you know, organise their kick finishes. Gave me a simple role, you know, and organising was, was a strength of mine at the time. Um, and then when Faz wants the ball, Faz gets it. So all he was doing was looking up, you know, organising his outside, which was Pearl at the time. 
um, and give me the ball to hand it up, or you know, he'd be calling my name, and I, all I'd be doing was firing passes to him. He'd do the rest. So yeah, um, it was it worked really well, mate. And it was from Frank, obviously um, simplifying our roles or simplifying my role to say this is what I need you to be good at. Um, and not much has changed, mate. You know, the halfbacks these days, you know, you push supports, big finishes, obviously mm. making your tackles. They're your key sort of areas of, um, and organising getting, getting your, 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 your players around the field. But everything will come off that. If you stick to stick to that, then I found my game was um, my overall game uh, benefit from just sticking to some, some sort of basic uh, areas I needed to focus on. Yeah, mate. Just mentioning Jason Robinson. Is he the most like for a guy that's only a few inches taller than us? He like I remember seeing him. I was playing putt putt in Gold Coast during the Rugby World Cup, and I think it was oh five or whatever. And he was there with some of his teammates. He's the most dense person I think I've ever seen in my life. Like his muscle structure for yeah. a small bloke. I don't think you could stab him. Like he literally mate, is that muscly. He was like, that's my table. That's what he felt like. <laughs> I can imagine. He. And that, that's when a lot of players these days are trained a lot harder than what we did. And he was, mate, he had muscles in areas that, you know, we all dream of, mate. He, he, he was a very, very gifted player. Um, like all, you know, freaks, they work hard. He worked hard, you know, so he just didn't turn up and that just happened for him. Um, he worked extremely hard. Mate, great fella, really good bloke. But, mate, it was an honour to play in that team, that's for sure, mm. which um, I always talk about as close to the best, uh, best top part of my life because, you know, you won all these footy games throughout the year. So, what comes with wins? You have celebrations and made a lot of a lot of highs um, in that in that season. So, you know, we fell short the grand final against St Helens. Um, mate, it was it was an enjoyable year. Yeah, is is it comparable in terms of like when you're at a glamour club like Wigan? Is that the most comparable to the NRL scene? Yeah, I think so. For sure. The way it was run, um, you know, from top down, obviously getting your head office right first, which they did. They had that in place. Um, you know, having the right coaches in place, and then obviously the leaders that we had in our team. No doubt the world you could pick that. You know, Bradford, Leeds, and Helen, and, and bring it up at Wigan at the time, and put him in the um, in the NRL. And it wouldn't look out of place. That's for sure. But I mean, you, you've got to look at the team that we had. Um, a lot of inter- internationals in that side. Mm. Um, Frank Endicott was a Kiwi coach at that time. So, um, we we had a great side. Mate, you know, you mentioned Old Trafford. Like, I think it's every kid's dream to play there, man. What was it like playing Old Trafford? Mate, it was one of those experiences, like, you look back when that happened, like, it was crazy. So you walk out together. So the the, the, the crowd is unbelievably loud when you walk out. And your hair stand up, you know, and your back and your neck and all that sort of stuff. Um, mate, didn't have the best of games. So from that aspect, I was, I was filthy myself because yeah. um, I didn't play that good, that, that play that work day. And, um, so I look back and it was a bit of a negative. But mate, as you get older, you, you, you appreciate, you know, what you did. Yeah. Um, and for sure, mate, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. Like I, I pointed out to my son the other day at the stadium, I said, you know, dad played there and um, he's always lived up in seven now, so he's starting to understand and, and yeah. all those sort of things are cool, mate. You know, as much as, as I said, you, you change a fair, fair bit um, of what you did when you played and when you're younger. But, mate, that was uh, an experience that no one can take away yeah, mate, another experience. What's this I hear that you guys all were living in farms back to back to back? Yeah, yeah. So basically it was an old barn converted. So you had – so Chris Radlinski was on this side. Yeah. Um, I rented a place and then next to me was uh, Tony Mestrov. So he was an Aussie. He played over there. Yeah, big fan. Uh, we, had, we had Gary Conley. Andy Farrell at the time was building a place. So he was in there. So, mate, so basically we'd have all our doors. Walk in, walk out. But um, – Chris Radlinski a fair few times and he'd knock 
He was having a bad day. He'd lock Mezzi and I out, knocking on the door. He'd be pretending he wasn't home. But, mate, it was, uh, it was an awesome experience. So obviously, being um, – so Faz and I were half five eight for a lot of that year, part of the year. I'd be in his place just talking, or talking yeah. about life, mate. And he talked about, you know, stars and looking up at people. I remember sitting um, in his living room and I'm going – I watched so many videos of him going, I'm sitting in the same living room as Andy Farrell, you know, <laughs> talking footy and life, and, mate, it was cool. It was awesome. So, what was Faz's house like? Was it a big mansion? He was building the mansion, yeah. So his, his place was nice that he was renting, but, yeah, he built the mansion, mate. And, um, I, I didn't see the mansion because I'd, I'd come back, but um, yeah, he was renting a nice place. But all, all the boys in that, that the farm was a, was a lovely place to live. Um, as you can imagine, we had some fun parties. And <laughs> Which one was the party house? Uh, mate, depends whose door was open, but uh, Gary's Gary's is the party house. Gary, okay, as loves a beer, mate. His his was massive. His house was massive, so now his was definitely the party house. So after the grand final, we're there, but throughout the year, sort of we're in and out. Um, but if, if his missus had enough of us, she closed the door. My door would be open. As soon as she had enough, then next one would be open. <laughs> yeah. Mate, there's, there's an aura around Gary Conley. Eh? I remember watching him play like early 90s for the Doggies and there was just, when he came out, there was just something special about him, wasn't there? Yeah, mate, he, he was a, he, he was one, Gaz. So Gaz was a freak, like, but naturally a freak. So he, he probably didn't um, you know, some of the other guys that I mentioned before. But come game day, he just put it together. Um, mm. So as good, as for me, could have even been a better player if he, if he, if he worked. He loved the beer. Everyone knew that. Um, so he'd be drinking, you know, a lot more regularly than other other other, uh, other guys. But mate, in terms of game day, in terms of um, being a you know, good, honest bloke, like he was a champion, guys. So um, you know, champion player and, and a really good fella off the field. Um, mate, you get some laughs with him. That's for sure. Very dry, um, but good fella. Yeah, I can imagine. So, well, what brought you back to Australia? Um, I, I just always wanted to come back and try and prove myself. Um, so as I said, once I went over there, I was always looking back and looking, you know, watching games every week, knowing that, you know, the NRL was the best sport in the world. Um, and I'm the sort of person that I want to test myself and, and do my very best. If it's not good enough, so be at least I'm going to myself in the air and go, well, didn't work out. But as long as I'm, you know, as I've done my best, I'm happy. So I was over there going, well, I stayed here. You know, yes, I can progress and, you know, in terms of money and, and all that sort of stuff, I could stay at a glamour club like Wigan, which would have been awesome. But I, I always, in the back of my mind, would have gone, well, you know, I really wanted to try and test myself mm. back at home. So um, that's the reason sort of why, why I went back. Um, you know, and overall, probably, you know, I finished at 26 and I, I felt like a failure. If, I, if I'm being totally honest, I felt like I didn't live up there. Um, you know, all sorts. But at the end of the day, that's what, that's where my career ended, and that's where that's where it went. Um, and I always wanted to get into coaching, so I had to take some years off um, to do that, get myself right, because um, you can't help others if you can't help yourself. So that's where I went, um, get myself right again, and um, moved into coaching. But yeah, so for me now, I look back and I try to look back on the positives, but I definitely did look back and um, felt like I failed. That's for sure. Wow. Now, we'll rip into coaching in a tick, but, you know, you had – what were you – because you obviously picked St. George to come back too. What were your choices at the time? Uh, not St. George. I think possibly – I had two. I think it was Cronulla. Um, but St. George for me was – I actually followed the Dragons, even though I'm South Sydney Junior. Um, you know, I love 
the juniors and all that sort of stuff. But I was a I was a Dragons fan. That was the first game that I ever watched was Dragons in Canterbury. So um, for me, looking back now, and again, I look back on the positive. I played for South, who was my junior club, who I loved. I played for the team that I followed as a kid. I played for the biggest club overseas in, in, in Wigan. So when I look back like that, I go, how cool, you know, yeah, I did okay. Um, to go to the Dragons for me was something, like everyone, you want to play for the team you follow as a kid. Um, so that was one part. So definitely, um, you know, a reason why. But then I look at the team. And it was pretty pretty easy mm. to look at and go, yeah, we can do something here. Um, now, we finished two games away from the grand final for, for both years, which, you know, we sort of probably underachieved. Um, you know, the year after, they ended up, I think it was the year after, what people the Tigers, maybe the year after that it was, whatever it was. But, um, yeah, made great time down there, great with the boats. Um, you know, being from Sydney and then going to Wollongong, they were more laid back. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like to have a laugh and, mate, they definitely bought me in the Sydney boys. Yeah, yeah did, we, you, did you move down to the Gong? No, I stayed in Sydney, but I'd spent a lot of time in Sean Timmy's house. So, Michael Bill, so if we'd uh, we stayed his place a fair bit. Yeah, nice. Piggy, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm sure you've got a few drinking stories with him. Plenty. <laughs> <laughs> well, what brought you back to South? I think at the time, it was a money side of it. Um, just going down there, but also... Um, it was my junior club. So for me, I, I always wanted to play for South. And for some reason, this didn't work out. Like I went back there and it didn't work out. When I first was there, it was, it was okay. It was good, but I left, you know. So um, so initially I wanted to go back and try. It was unfinished sort of business, if, if that makes sense. Because yeah. um, I wanted to prove myself that I could could make it at South and I could, could um, you know, be a long-term halfback there. Um, but as I said, the money was good as well, so I'm not going to lie and say that wasn't that wasn't part of the reason. But um, that's that's the reason why we're back. That was a club. Um, yeah, as I say, the juniors were awesome to me. We uh, started coaching, um, so I felt like I owed it to them as well. Yeah, well, you know, you you made the big statement that you think your career is a bit of a failure. You know, with your competitive blokes, especially in such competitive sportsmen, is is coaching kind of an avenue for you to continue and maybe even reverse what you feel is a failure? No doubt. Um, the for, for me, initially it was helping people, um, I suppose. While, while I got into coaching and why I love coaching, I always wanted to get a job that helps people. For mm. me, that's I get a thrill out of helping someone. Yep. Um, actually makes me feel good. So without realising, I didn't realise, but coaching is that. You're, you're helping people be better men. You're helping better be better footballers. Helping people actually um, achieve the dream of playing, you know, playing first grade. Now it's about maintaining and staying in first grade, being the best you can be every week, being the best husband you can be, being the best father you can be. So that's all. For me, um, there's no doubt in the world that I'll use my experiences um, and around that. So I, I'm not going to go and say I was the best footballer to these players and whatever. They're just going to look at the video and go, no, you weren't. Andy Johns was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First of all, footy players see straight through you. So the biggest thing is being honest. I don't claim to be the best halfback or best bloke to play the game, but what I, what I will give my players or our players is is honesty. Give them honest, you know, I suppose stories. And if, if, if I'm not going to go and just an idea because I don't I think that's not the way to coach. But definitely when you start to get deep conversations with players, I can draw from you know from my experiences. For example, mate, I'm not afraid to say it. So I gambled a fair bit as a kid. Yeah. Now, once I was 18, money came in. Was too easy. Um, went to the racetrack. Still love it today. 
you know, I love I love horses and I love horse racing today. Um, but I've learned now, you know, family and stuff like that, you can't throw yeah, yeah. money away. But, but I can help people and I help people in the past with it, stay with it. So for me, that's a thrill of something that I did, an experience that I did in my life back then, which affected me, and I can help, you know, um, and give, I suppose, boundaries and, uh, yeah, just help yeah. Uh, so what am I actually one of your strengths might be like I listened to a podcast last week with Craig Bellamy and he was saying that, you know, obviously with the storm, they've had three or four of the best top 10 players for the last 10 years, but he reckons his major strength is being able to relate to the squad players and the players coming through because that's essentially, he was similar to you. You played hundred plus first grade games, but he was more of a role player coming off the bench or a player that wasn't seen as a star player. So he really relates to everyone in the squad because he doesn't really have to relate to the top three, four players because he knows they're going to perform every week. But that's yeah. kind of his advantage he feels. What do you reckon of that? 100%. So, so when I started uh, at Manly, I, I went over there and looked at Daly Cherry Ribbons going, how am I going to help him? I'm a halfback. He's done a lot more than me. Um, and this was this was my insecurity at the time, you know, but I'm looking at him going, how can I help someone like Daly Cherry, Cherry Evans? First thing I did was sit down and had a coffee with him. Um, I got to know him as a bloke. I wanted him to be able to get to know me, be honest with each other. Then, yeah. so first of all, mate, that, that's how we started the conversation was around, you know, family, um, you know, obviously life experiences. Um, it wasn't a great deal around footy. As, as we started building the relationship, um, more and more came out. So for Ches's game, mate, the biggest thing for those sort of guys is accountability. So yeah. they know how to do it. Ches knows how to do it. Um, if he doesn't, obviously, that's what he's doing with him. Um, in different areas game, so he can. But Ches is, um, you know, he, he's a smart player in his own right. He's a good, very good leader, great leader, should I say. Um, so for him, it was more around accountability. So I totally understand um, and agree with, with Craig Bellamy's point about that because uh, different players, you can't treat every player the same, you know, and coach that says that, I do disagree with because every player is different. So, you know, you've first, first and foremost for me, he's got to build a strong relationship. Once you build that relationship, they can start to trust you. So I trust you with your feedback and what you're giving with footy, um, but they're going to trust you with feedback you give them about life. Um, as I said, footy, Craig Bellamy with the best at this. Um, footy's that part of your life. I remember John Lang saying it actually. Footy's that part of your life. You know, so much bigger world out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went and experienced it. I went and did some other things. Um, but for me, footy's massive because I love it so much. Um, but that's there's no doubt in the world those 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 better players or more experienced players, you, you need to um, you need to treat them differently in the sense of it's it's more around accountability and and, and relationships and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Now, well, I really like the way you've kind of done your apprenticeship. Like you really did start at the bottom. Like you came through the skills coaching, Harold Matts, SG Ball, and then you worked your way twenties at the Tigers. But you know, one of the I think the big things is he's been an assistant to Wayne Bennett. I can imagine that's like the equivalent of going to university for the, for an MBA or something like that, man. Like yeah. what was the biggest thing you learned under Wayne Bennett? 100%. So I'll just talk about here because I did my apprenticeship. But the biggest reason um, and why I wanted to do that, so I look back on my footy career and again, I went, okay, how can I use it as an advantage? Um, coaching, how can I use it all positive? So for me, when I, when I started playing, as I said before, I was 18, I was ready over here, then I went overseas to, to work on my apprenticeship over there. Um, so what I wanted to do was start at the bottom and, and and learn every aspect of coaching because I love footy so much. I want coaching and you never know how long you're going to be in it for, but I want to be in it yeah. for as long as I can be in it, you know. And, um, and I say that openly. I love it. 
you know, I love my job. So for me, it was it was a matter of, of learning right to go to that next level and, and progress. Um, so I can maintain and be in a position to coach for as long as I can. So that's why that's why that mate will never change anything because it's 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 helped me, I suppose, um, set the foundations of of you know, it's it's the same principles. Um, and I didn't realise this at the time when you are coaching your juniors and you're learning that as you know that that can be a better way of learning than going straight into into coaching first grade players. Um, but to, to answer your point about Wayne, so again, you know, for a young coach, and then you get this, this super coach come in, I'd be mindful of not getting that star. Yeah. Starry eyes. Um, Wayne's got an aura about him. So you first, you know, if you said him, oh, why you said, oh, yeah, I remember you. I know you. <laughs> uh, that was the first thing he sort of said. I was like, oh, beautiful. Glad you know me. Um, we're work- we're going to be working together. Um, but mate, Wayne, Wayne has a uh, an aura about him, mate. Wayne is, um, you know, there's, there's not many better or made better on field. So to walk in a dressing room and um, to understand how the players are feeling, so look at someone and go, yeah, he's not right. He's at a he's at a bad night at home, something like that. There's, there's none better um, that I haven't seen at the moment than Wayne. Um, Adam O'Brien's definitely got a very good mix of, of feel and process. Um, which Anthony Seabold I worked under, he's very process driven. So, mate, I've just learned off, you know. Three guys, as I said, there, um, three awesome coaches in their own right. So, as I say, Wayne Wayne's an old-school coach. He's massive on the field. He'll go out of the session. Might not be as planned as such as what Adam and um, But he, he understands players, understands when they've had enough and, and that type of thing. And, mate, massive on relationships. You know, he's, that, that's, that's, that's what he does. You know, yeah. he builds relationships with his players. Yeah, I had a good chat with Paul Ruse actually last week, and he's a very big like he's a note writer. Like a lot of the things that he's learnt from his career, he's noted noted down. He always refers to it. Like, have you taken any kind of notes from all your learnings in that? Yes, a lot of seams around that. Um, Anthony Seabold, so he's massive on that. So I was school, and um, you know, I, I sort of <laughs> you know they talk about eighteen minute videos, and I was one of those you know players at the time. That, you know, probably 18 minutes was my max that I could yeah, sit yeah. for and, and concentrate and that type of thing. Um, so I only learned that sort of stuff. That's what, say, Steve taught me with, with organisation and um, and those sort of things, note-taking, the importance of development, um, you know, a hell of a lot. So where Wayne, Wayne has everything up here and he, and he remembers it all. Um, I think going forward for a younger coach, I need to create the habits of, of, of note-taking and that type of thing. Um that's right, mate. Someone like Wayne doesn't need that pull up here. Yeah, yeah. And it's for, strict me. For a young coach, like, do you guys, is there such thing as like a coaching philosophy? Do you think about this or anything like that? Yeah, I do. Again, mate, I, I did a course um, when I had a seed, so I was called the next coach. Um, and it was around coaching philosophies and stuff. So well, I didn't understand it. Um, you're still sort of working on your philosophy. You know, I've mentioned the word relationships. Mm. Uh, for me, relationships is number one. So, as I say, I don't build relationships. Trust me. So, you know, you spoke before about Palin Pong and Mitchell Pierce. So these guys are you know, superstars of the game. Um, if they don't trust me, you know, there's going to be no. So to build trust, you need to start, um, you know, build, and build a strong relationship. So that's first and foremost for me. Um, accountability um, is huge. So I'm, I'm not a dictating coach. You've got to build this way. Mm. I'll, I'll always find out if a player where he wants to go and um, you know what goals he set, that type of thing. Um, and I'm just making him accountable every day. So we've obviously got standards as, as a an organisation, um, you know, that Adam sets, 
Um, so, you know, we're making them accountable around those. But a lot of the time as an assistant, it's accountability around, you know, what, what the players, I suppose, goals and focus areas are for that session or that year or whatever it may be. Um, you know, I'm massive on that. And and obviously coaching, you know, slash teaching, part of your role as well as assistant, um, making sure they're learning every day. So that's, um, that's sort of three areas that I'll focus on. Yeah, cool. Now, last topic, leadership. Now, in terms of your playing and then also what you have observed at the coaching level, who, who's been kind of the, the strongest characters in leadership and maybe a couple of traits that maybe just stand out? Yeah, so, mate, I've, got, I've got to give Adam a huge run. Um, so Adam at the moment, so it's his first year as a, as a head coach. Um, as I said at the start, mate, no coach has prepared himself for this. Wayne mm. Bennett hasn't even prepared him to Craig Bellamy, Craig Robinson, no experienced coach has prepared him to for this. So... Adam's been thrown in, done an awesome job um, up to date, you know, not getting carried away, but obviously we had two wins at the start, had a really strong preseason. Um, that was all under his And then this this gets thrown at you. So how's a you know, a young coach, um, first year coach can handle that. Um, mate, he's handled exceptionally well um, in terms of the trip that he's made it smooth. And the reason why I say that is in terms of the players getting um, you know, what they need in terms of welfare. In terms of you know um, programs, um, the players are happy. So that's the first and foremost. They needed to be happy. So he's kept them happy. Staff he's kept extremely happy. Obviously, not going around about you know what are we going to get paid? What aren't we going to get paid? What's our job look like next week? What's our job look like next year? He's handled all that extremely well. Um, so for me, you need a strong and a good leader to be able to handle these sort of things at the moment. So I'm fortunate enough that we do have that leader. Um, mate, Phil Gardner has been been really good. Um, as well, um, but Adam exceptionally well, you know, in terms of here. So, look, look, looking in the past, you know, obviously, um, mate Shane Richardson. Uh, I've had a lot of strong leader, Richo. Um, um, who else have we had, mate? Um, in terms of coaches, obviously, you know, all, all the coaches I've had are good leaders in their own right. But that's probably the best example that I can give at the moment of someone being a really, a really strong leader when something's been thrown at you. It's not in the manual. Yeah. Was that a big attraction when you picked Nico? Because, like, it seems like everywhere Adam goes, like, from the Storm to the Roosters, like, you're undefeated at the Knights too, mate. Like, it just seems success travels where Adam goes. Yeah. So, the, the biggest strength that Adam's got. So, so I'll, I gave an example before about Wayne. You know, he's big on feeling, mm. um, relationships, seeds, very organised, process-driven, um, you know, attention to detail. I, I say Adam sort of sits in the middle, so he's got both of those. Um, like a balance, yeah. He's got a balance, you know, and, you know, so obviously he's learned off Craig and he's, he's learned off you know, the best coaches out there and then obviously what he knows and what he's putting together. Um, so I reckon, mate, he, he's definitely got the balance right um, and he's ready for it. Yep. He's, he hasn't been thrown in. You know, he's had a 10-year apprenticeship. You know he's ready for it. So I gave you the example before, but... Even just the first day, you look you look at the coach and how's he going to be the first day? He was relaxed. He, he went straight into the job because he had been at the previous um, year. that was a sign of he's, he's more than ready. Yeah. Um, how old is he? He, I think that's his 44. Okay. How old are you now? Yeah, I'm 41. Okay. So you've got that little gap. Are you kind of like thinking about the same sort of thing? Like you have done a great apprenticeship as well. Now, if you can get a little bit of success in first grade under a good coach like Adam, I think that will probably be a good stepping stone for you to then just become a head coach. Yeah. I mean, down the track, I'd I, I love a head coach. I think, as I said before, um, I'm the sort of person that I want to want to set high standards and high, you know, uh, 
expectations and goals of myself. Um, head coach is definitely something that does appeal to me. Um, at the moment, I'm extremely happy. Um, signed three years up here. Love it. Keen to stay. Just move the family. Um, keen to learn a lot more um, before we go into that role. But I suppose for me, you know, and as being a younger coach and or an assistant at the moment is around, you know, not so much day-to-day of running a program or the footy side, but it's around looking at what he's done now, you know, and how he deals with the board, how he deals with the CEO and yeah. um, the media and all that sort of stuff. That's the area you've got to get right. Um, so to get thrown into to doing that when you're not ready, that's when you're not going to succeed. It's not so much about the you know, the day-to-day of, of, you know, getting our footy side ready, but it, it'll be just keep learning. I want to go and learn more of that, but it's about learning more. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's finishing off with my dinner party question. Now, Willie, you got five invites to a private dinner party. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite to dinner? Oh, okay. So I'll go. So a bloke named Natty Wood used to Yeah, yeah, I know Natty. Yep. So I was Natty actually talking. Who was I talking to about him the other day? It was, we were just talking about, oh, it was Gavin Badger. We were talking about his dog. Have you seen his dog yeah. on Instagram? How good is yeah. his dog? It's <laughs> mad. <laughs> All right, so that's number one, Nat. Yeah, so I go Natty Wood. Um, mate, we need a bit of music. I love, I love Elton John. I'm an Elton John fan. So yeah, nice. Did you go to the concert? I did. I'll be, yeah, I did. I've been to every concert, or pretty much because he's been out here. That looks sick. Yeah, look nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, mate, I, I want to bring my uncle back. So my uncle passed away. Um, okay. So he's he's alive for the party. So he'd be, he'd be some good fun. Um, so I bring my uncle Louis back. Um, who else are we going to have at the dinner party? So, um, what's going we have? This is a good question. This is a tough question, isn't it? <laughs> you had all the easy ones before. This is a tough one. Finish. Oh, um, I'm not going to say. Um, hey, this is you put me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two more people. Uh, Carmen Electric can come. Hey, did you watch the docos? The yeah, I've been. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> come and lift and come. Uh, Jesus, Robert can pour bird, can't he? Yeah, mate. It's uh, it's. I'm enjoying that at the moment. It's been really good. Um, the, the Phil Jackson side of things is good. Have you have you read his book? No, I haven't, mate. It, I think it's called Eleven or Twelve Rings or something for a coach, yep. mate. Trust me, because I think it's kind of kind of suited to like maybe a manager, someone that's deep in business, or on yep. the flip side, like a coach who loves that kind of psychology side of things. So, yeah, yeah rip in, man. It's just really good. You know what? That's a white cool then. <laughs> mate, can you imagine? Mate, I think he'd be too – he'd probably be too hectic, I reckon, for me. Like, too quiet. Can we get Dennis Rodman? Oh, that's – you know what? I changed my dinner party the other day. I put Dennis in. Yeah. Only, only problem is I won't be coming out for five days. Could mate, I'll have, I'll have to send it to you, but we'll go Dennis Rodman. <laughs> and I'll, uh, I'll send you a revised one. <laughs> nice one, mate. Well, Willie, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast, man. Thanks for all the, the open, you know, memories and all the insights. I love the coaching bit too, mate. Have to get you back on as, as the season progresses, buddy. Awesome. Nah, yeah. you're welcome. Uh, and that, guys, was Willie Peters. So I really, you know, really, really glad that he came on the, the podcast. Got plenty to share. Sorry for a little, little bit of audio 
issues from time to time, but, you know, it's during this sort of little isolation period. So we're recording on Zoom, and it's kind of the best we can do right now. But I'm really looking forward to doing some one-on-one interviews down the track. But in the meantime, I have been pretty pretty busy, and I recorded about 10 more podcasts. So let's see if that can get us through this next little next little phase, and we can hopefully get back to, to doing some normal one-on-ones, because that's what we kind of love. All right, guys, next week on the show, another great story in Justin Horro. So Big Hoz, he's actually got his own podcast called The Scope. You know, he's, he's really, really doing well post-footy, so good on your Scope, and uh, really looking forward to sharing you Justin's story next week. Please, if you can, if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your family and friends. Tag me on any posts, Facebook, Twitter. I'm at Talking with TK. Instagram, you'll find me at Tristan Nell. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, drop me a line, Tristan at TalkingTK.com if you want to sh- you know, talk any footy, sports, or even guest requests, any suggestions for the show. Please send them through. I am part of the Diamantina Podcast Network, so check out some of my favorite podcasts, including the Halfcast, the Podcast, Batuta, and Dylan Friends. And just finally, my book, Talking With Champions, that's out now. You can find it at Dimmick's Booktopia, Angus and Robinson, 75 of my best interviews, including the likes of Jonathan Thurston, Evandy Holyfield, George Foreman, Layla Ali, Mario Andretti, including a whole heap of NRL stars that you've heard on the podcast at, at the moment. So plenty of motivation, inspiration to get us through this little period of time. But yeah, it's called Talking With Champions, and you can find it at Dimmick's Booktopia, Angus and Robinson, or just Google Talking With Champions. All right, guys, as mentioned, next week, Justin Horro, so be on the lookout for that one next Monday. But in the meantime, enjoy the footy, stay safe. I'm Tristan Cadell, and this was Talking with TK.